Well, hey, Connect. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Chris. Get to serve as the pastor on the team here. And just thrilled that you decided to come gather with us, to worship with us today. Uh, as Nate mentioned earlier, we're going to be wrapping up our At Odds with God series. We've been looking at the story of Jonah. And let me just tell you at the outset, Jonah ends in a really odd, bizarre way. And it causes us as the reader to look at ourselves in the mirror and really think through what God invites Jonah to think through. But before we get there, uh, whether you've joined us for this series, you're familiar with the story of Jonah or not, let me give you the cliff notes on Jonah because a a story like this today is something we call satire. Uh, Characters are put in extreme circumstances Humor, irony, they're used to point a finger at these characters' character flaws, their stupidity. Uh, people like Jonah. Jonah's a prophet of God. I mean, he, he claims to revere God. And yet, what we saw in chapter 1 is that Jonah ran from God. He didn't want, he didn't want to do what God called him to do. And then you got these pagan sailors who, well, they're pagan. Like They, they don't worship God. And yet, when they hear of Jonah's God, they actually revere God. They fear him. They worship him. And then as the story progresses, uh, we got the Ninevites, these wicked people. That's the capital of Assyria. I mean, the Assyrians, as, as Tyler and Alex have shared throughout this series, they were brutal in battle and, and tortured people. It was, it was awful. Rightly so, they were, they were enemies, and yet they very humbly repented, like their king humbly repented, even after just a short message telling them, hey, you got to turn from your wicked ways. So we've got this story, and we've got all these characters going through pretty extreme circumstances and responding different from how we'd expect. But God, God is true to form. He is true to his character. And Jonah 3.10 tells us that when, when God saw these people repent, he responded this way. When God saw what they did, talking about the people, uh, the Assyrians, those who lived in, in Nineveh, <clears throat> they did, uh, excuse me, let's start over. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Now, you would think that God showing up in this kind of a way would be cause for celebration for Jonah. I mean, his enemies just repented, and God relented. He showed him mercy. But Jonah didn't celebrate. He sulked. You see, when when Jonah missed God's heart, he missed this great opportunity to celebrate what God had done. And sometimes, in our lives, God will move in an incredible way, and yet we'll miss it. We'll end up sulking when we should be celebrating. If you've got a Bible with you, why don't you just do this? Turn with me to Jonah chapter 4. If you need a Bible, we've got a free church app. You can follow along there, easily take notes. Uh, But we're going to see how this story concludes, and it's going to challenge us to take a hard look at ourselves and see, are we celebrating when we should be celebrating, or are we actually sulking when we should be celebrating? Are we missing God's heart? Because we don't want to miss God's heart. Let's do this before we jump into the text. Let's bow our heads 
And let's pray. Let's just ask that God speak to each one of us now. Lord, we come before you eager to hear from you. We want to know you more. Each of us are at a different spot in our faith, and we would just ask that you'd meet us right where we are, that you would speak to us through your word, through this message, and you would draw us closer to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Where we're picking up in the story, the people of Nineveh have just repented, and God has relented. He's not going to bring on them the destruction, the judgment that he had forewarned. But Jonah's ticked about it. Just look at this, picking up at the beginning of Jonah 4, verses 1 through 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Now, throughout Scripture, God is described as gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. And uh, it's because when God revealed himself to Moses, way, way back in Exodus, when he revealed himself to Moses, when they're on Mount Sinai, you know Mount Sinai, that's where Moses received the Ten Commandments from God. Well, when God revealed himself to Moses, this is how he did it. This is from Exodus 34. We hear, and he, God, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So what we see throughout the rest of Scripture, whether it's in the Psalms where they're praising God for his gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love character, or if it's with other prophets who, unlike Jonah, but, you know, these prophets, oh, they're, they're telling the people, hey, guys, you've got to turn from your sin, and God's going to hear you. He's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Unlike the psalmist, unlike these other prophets, here we got Jonah, who acknowledges God's character, and throws it back in his face as an insult. Think about that. Jonah knew God's heart, yet he failed to embody God's heart. Jonah was angry that God is slow to anger. Jonah hated that God was loving towards those he hated. You see, Jonah pridefully thought he knew what was best. Oh, the destruction of the Ninevites, that's what they deserve. But God responded differently. So Jonah smugly deemed these non-Israelites unworthy of God's love, unworthy of his mercy. Now, when God said go to Nineveh, and Jonah ran in the opposite direction, he hopped on a boat and he tried to get as far away from these Ninevites as possible. But God, in his sovereignty, still got Jonah to go to Nineveh. And Jonah shared the message, and the people repented. 
So God relented. He showed them mercy. And, and just as throughout this whole journey, his, his attempt to go to Tarshish, all the way back to Nineveh, you know, when things got tough, Jonah wanted to throw in the towel. When he was on the boat and it was, the, the storm was raging all around, Jonah wanted the sailors to throw him overboard. So he'd die. So he'd escape God's call to go to Nineveh. And here, having now been to Nineveh, regretfully, he is sitting outside the city hoping that these people are going to repent of their repentance, that God's going to bring on them the judgment that he thinks they deserve. And he'd rather die than live with the reality of a merciful, loving God. Now, most of us probably haven't wished for death because of God's character, because he's merciful and loving. But some of us, and some of those around us in our lives, uh, we've, we've walked away from God, we've walked away from the church because of God's character. It's challenged us. We can't wrap our minds around it. Maybe it's the fact that he supposedly loves our enemies, people like Hitler and Stalin. Or the fact that God would even offer to forgive a rapist or a murderer. The wicked people of Nineveh repented of their sin. God showed them mercy. And Jonah was sulking when he should have been celebrating. Now, you've probably never sulked when you should be celebrating, but I have. Uh, inevitably, I used to do this in, in the past. I'd you know get home after like a Christmas Eve service or a Easter service. It's you know big big days for the church, like exciting days. We would have had a great time together. I'm just I'm dog tired and I'm sitting on the couch before I go to bed and I'm like, well, I'll just you know scroll through social media. So I'm scrolling through social media and inevitably I'll come across like another pastor celebrating all the people who came and all the hands raised to follow Jesus. And while I should be celebrating for them, you know what I do? I pridefully pout on my couch. I'll be like, why them and not us? God, don't you even know what they teach over there? And, and all the excitement, all the joy from that day, the time that we had together, it's gone. Because nothing kills joy like comparison. And, and you're probably not sulking over other pastors' celebrations. Uh, maybe for you it's, you know, my husband and I, we've been trying to get pregnant for years. Like, we just want to start a family. And yet, here my, un, my unmarried sister is all pregnant. Like, what gives? Or you, you're like, okay, I, I've been doing everything my company asks me. I follow every policy. I'm doing things just the way my boss likes. And then Corner Cutter, Corner Cutter got the job, the promotion that I wanted. Like, seriously? Or maybe for you, you think, you know, I, I've, I've grown up in church. I've been, I've been missed church in like forever. I can't even remember the last time I missed church. Like, I'm always there. And yet, when they show up smelling like weed and alcohol, Everyone gets excited and throws a party when they want to follow Jesus and get baptized. Like, where's my party? Where's my hug? When 
we find ourselves sulking when we should be celebrating, it's a cue that we're missing God's heart. When, when Jonah was sulking, God asked him a very simple question. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for us to be angry that God loves our enemies? Is it right for me to be angry that God would choose to bless another church? Is it right for you to be angry that God gave them what you want? Is it right for you to be angry? As we keep reading, we see why Jonah missed God's heart. You see, Jonah missed God's heart because Jonah missed God's mission. Let's keep reading. Verses 5 through 11. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. Then he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He, went, he wanted to die and said, it'd be better for me to die than to live. Again, Jonah's just wishing it away. He would rather die than live with a merciful and gracious God. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So Jonah is sitting outside the city, hoping that his enemies are going to repent of their repentance. Like, he's, he's just hoping that, that maybe God will align his gracious and loving and compassionate and slow to anger. He's like, he's just hoping that God's going to realign his heart with his. And he's going to show them the judgment he deserves. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. And jo Jonah wants God to be depressed and angry and vengeful, like him. He's ticked. So God meets Jonah in his frustration, and he provides this plant that offers Jonah shade. And Jonah liked that. Who doesn't want to have some shade from the sun? But then the plant dies because God sent a worm, the worm ate you know, the roots, etc. Now the plant's dead. Now Jonah's out in the, the sun and the wind again. And he's again frustrated by it. And like Jonah, all too often our emotions are too closely tied to our circumstances. When life's going well, we're happy, everything's good, we're kind to our spouse, we're patient with our kids, we're not angry at the person who cut us off in traffic. Life's good when life's good. But then, when it's not, when we experience trials, we are, we're quick to be angry at God and want to give up. But here's the thing about God. God doesn't ever give up on us. He didn't give up 
on Jonah. I mean, look at this. Verse 9 says, But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Jonah's uncomfortable because he's hot. He's out in the sun. He, he, he's uncomfortable, but, but God, God's discomfort isn't so shallow. God is uncomfortable with Jonah's heart. Jonah was so wrapped up in his own personal comfort that he was missing the bigger picture. He couldn't think about what God was about, let alone be about what God was about. He was too wrapped up in his own personal comfort. And I wonder how many times we're wrapped up in our own little lives that we miss what God's doing around us. Things are going well with our family, and it's good, and we're excited about that, but we're totally oblivious to what's happening in our neighbor's lives next door. Or, or maybe we have our needs met, and we're not, we're not under financial strain, but we don't want like, to sacrifice to be a part about what God's doing. Oh, no, like, we're good. Like, we, we're good. Or, or maybe... Maybe it's that, you know, we received the gospel ourselves, but we've forgotten the grace and the mercy that God has shown us in that they deserve it too. Jonah was short-sighted in his vision, so God needed to raise his gaze, and he did this by sending this plant where he graciously had the plant grow, and then it died, all to teach Jonah a lesson. And it, and it raises a question, a nagging question for Jonah, and a question that we need to wrestle with ourselves. Back in verses 10 and 11, it says this, But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? God's like, like, Jonah, Jonah, you're all concerned about your personal comfort over here. But there's something much bigger happening. Isn't it okay that, that I, as God, can be concerned about these 120,000 people, each with a name, each with a story, people who don't know what they don't know? Is it right for me to be concerned about them? He's like, raise your gaze, Jonah. Stop being so fixated on your personal comfort. There's something bigger happening. Scripture is so clear about God's character and God's mission. God is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. And God loves everyone. And he wants a relationship with everyone. Every one of the 120,000 people of Nineveh Every one who's incarcerated, every one who's opposed to what we're for, everyone we hate, God loves. God loves everyone, and he wants a relationship with everyone. And God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And God loves to welcome that one home, loves to welcome them home. Uh, but are we... Are we going to celebrate when the one comes home, or are we going to sulk about it? When God extends the same mercy to them that he extended to us, 
Will we cheer or will we pout? The warning for Jonah is the same for us. Miss God's mission, and you'll miss God's heart. Miss God's mission, and you'll miss God's heart. God is love. God graciously loves all. He has mercifully forgiven us. And God's mercy is so radical that he also wants to extend it to them. The, the, the one that we've been praying for, he wants, it to, wants to extend his love, his mercy, his grace to them. And I'm so glad that God is merciful towards us. And I'm glad that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Because that same mercy that we're saved by for our salvation is the same mercy that we wrestle with in our transformation. And as we wrestle with God's mercy for others, people we don't want to see in heaven, if we're honest, as we wrestle with God's mercy, it is a slow and painful process as the Holy Spirit uproots our sinful biases. So, what would it look like to live a transformed life? Here's where it starts. Don't be angry about what God is passionate about. God is God. We are not. God gets to choose who he extends mercy to. And good news for everyone God first chose to extend mercy through Jesus before the judgment that's ahead of us for sin. So because of Jesus, we can now be set free. We can have a relationship with God. And if we receive Jesus, we avoid God's judgment. And the same is true for all who repent of their sin. Doesn't matter how bad you think their sin is or you think your sin is. God's mercy is greater. So, don't be angry about what God's passionate about. And two, grieve what grieves God. God's heart breaks for the broken, for the sinner, for the outcast, for the runaway. God's heart breaks for them, and our heart should break for them too, if we're followers of Jesus. And the Spirit of God is in us. If we're more concerned about our comfort than their salvation, something's wrong, and you need to repent of that. I need to repent of that. Because eternity's long, and we are created for a relationship with God. And if we're more concerned about the boat we have, the car we drive, the place we live, the tech we use, whatever it is that makes us comfortable, which isn't bad, but if it gets in place of our love for someone else, that's a problem. And it's got to stop because the gospel calls us to more. After all, a Jesus, Jesus pointed out that it's natural to love those who love us. It's natural to love those who love us. But he calls us to a supernatural love. We're supposed to love those who don't like us, our enemies. That's who we're called to love in Christ. And that kind of love, yeah, it's radical, and it takes a lot of us, like all of us. Like we need the, we need the Holy Spirit to, to transform us fully because on our own, we don't want to love them. We don't like them. Why would we love them? Because that's who Jesus has called us to love. 
And then the third thing is don't sulk, celebrate. And this principle, it wasn't just hard for Jonah as a prophet of God in the Old Testament. It was hard for the religious in the New Testament. That's why Jesus shared this very famous story, the, the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son. I want to read it to you because we can never lose sight of this. I don't care if you've heard this story a thousand times or if you're hearing it for the first time. I pray that it resonates afresh for all of us because we can all find ourselves somewhere in the story. Jesus is speaking to a very religious crowd to point something out to them, and he tells them this story. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. He sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. If you've run from God, know this, God's running after you. He wants to welcome you home with open arms. There's nothing you, you've said, you've done, you've had done to you. There's nothing that Jesus can't forgive. You see, Jesus is how God extended his love to us, to you. And if you want that relationship, with our Heavenly Father, with God. If you want a relationship with God, it's very, very simple. 
You repent, which is a, which is a word that means you, you turn from your sin, you look to Jesus, and you say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. And the cool thing is he forgives you every single time. And then the other element of repentance is it doesn't stop there. It actually, you continue, now you walk in a new way of life. The word connotes a 180. You were heading one way, a sinful life. Now you're living a new life in Christ. All by God's grace. Because he has shown you mercy. He's given you what you don't deserve. Our sin deserves death. But Jesus paid that price for us. And now, when, like that younger son, when we turn home and we start to run towards, towards home or walk or however we stumble, like whatever it is, we're, we're inching our way back home, God's running towards us. He wants to give us a big bear hug. He loves you so much. And we're here as a church to help you experience his love, to help you follow Jesus. Whether that's making a decision to follow him for the first time, getting baptized, or growing in him, we're here to help. And may we not be like the older son, who, when he should have been celebrating with the rest of the family, he was like Jonah. He was sulking. As a church, we are a front porch for prodigals because we are a people who are passionate about what God is passionate about. We are a people who grieve what grieves God. And we're a people who celebrate when God's mission to connect with even just one person in God's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love character, when they collide in a beautiful reality for that one. Heaven parties, when one person goes from lost to found, from disconnected to connected, and we party too. That's the kind of church we are, but what kind of person are you? That's the question that God leaves with Jonah when it's all said and done. He puts it in, the ball's in Jonah's court. How will he respond? And the ball is now in our court. How will we respond? The interesting thing about the story of Jonah is that God is the only character in the story who's true to form. God never changes. He is always gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Uh, when everyone else was, was responding different from as we'd expect, God remained the same. The, the pagan sailors, they worshipped God. And God mercifully calmed the storm. The wicked people of Nineveh and their, their murderous king humbly repented and God mercifully relented. Even Jonah. Jonah, the, the prophet of God who's supposed to champion God's cause, ran in the opposite direction and then regretfully went and did what God called him to, and then when God did what God said he would do, Jonah's ticked about it, and he's pouting. But God never turned his back on Jonah. He engaged Jonah in his frustration, in his anger, and he, in the questions, invited Jonah to turn back to him. 
God loves and extends mercy to all people, all people, even those at odds with him. So will you turn from God or will you turn towards him? Will you selfishly enjoy your comfort or will you selflessly sacrifice to be a part of something greater? Will you live at odds with God or will you live united with him? Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the story of Jonah and thank you for the gospel. Thank you for extending mercy to us. We, we do not deserve it, and yet you extend it because you love us and you demonstrated your love for us through Jesus. And for that, we are so grateful. Lord, if there are people here who, who don't know Jesus and aren't following him, I ask that you would open their eyes to who Jesus is even now. And for those of us who've been following Jesus, maybe even for years, would you soften our hearts for what breaks yours? Would we not grow callous? Would we always grieve what grieves you? And would we be passionate about what you're passionate about? And God, would we celebrate time and time and time and time again when one comes home? So we ask this for ourselves. We ask this for our church. And it's all because of you. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.